Today's reading is Job 23, verses 1 through 17. It can be found on page 483 of the Bible's next year's seats as not on the screen. <laughs> this is God's word. Then Job replied, Even today my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling. I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say to me. Would he vigorously oppose me? No, he would not press charges against me. There the upright can establish their innocence before him, and there I would be delivered forever from my judge. But if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. My feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept to his way without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread, but he stands alone and who can oppose him? He does whatever he pleases. He carries out his decree against me and many such plans he still has in store. That is why I am terrified before him. When I think of all this, I fear him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Yet I am not silenced by the darkness, by the thick darkness that covers my face. The word of the Lord. I invite you to pray with me. Our great God, we look towards these words, these ancient words, to bring light and life to us this morning. So we pray that through your doing, that our ears might be opened, these words might have, um, even the words of my mouth might have um, your work within them and that we might um, find them to be compelling and that we might find you in these words. We come in great need, um, even though sometimes in a place like a church we might do a lot of work to try to hide our need or to try to look like we have things together, but really we're all sitting here more of a mess than we care to admit. And your gospel, the good news of scripture tells us that even though we're more of a mess than we care to admit, in Christ we're more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. So whether we come with faith this morning, or renewed faith, or whether we come with doubt, whether we come feeling healed from a really horrific season, or whether we come wounded, whether we come excited and alert or bored, and anesthetized by the comforts of life, we invite you to meet us. And we ask us, we ask you to draw us into something deeper than ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're, we're looking at the book of Job. And we started by looking at 
we looked at uh, Job's wife's response. That was the initial sermon. Then we looked at Job's friend's response. And then today we look at Job's response. And it's a response to something. And what are they responding to? They're responding to the situation in Job's life, the suffering that he's dealing with. So uh, the book of Job starts out, and it, in the first two chapters, it just sets the scene. And then most of the rest of it is dialogue about the response. Like, how do you react to the, the scene that's, that's gone down? So what goes down is um, in this sort of heavenly court where God is there and the angels are there, there's one who's called the accuser. And the Hebrew word is the, the Satan. And the Satan comes forward and says basically that he thinks Job's faith is phony. And then if you take away Job's stuff, then you'll see a different Job. He won't be so faithful to God. So that's the first scene. And then there's all these horrible things. Job loses all his wealth. And then Job doesn't give up his faith. And so round two that um, Satan proposes is that you take away his health. You make him very physically uncomfortable. So um, he's got disease and his skin is, you know, in horrible condition. And he's not only has he lost all these things emotionally, but even physically he's going through great suffering. And his faith, he still gives an expression of incredible faith at the end of that. And then we launch into the dialogue with his friends. And so this is a book, an ancient book, that draws us into the um, perennial questions of how do you understand um, when life isn't going your way? How do you make sense of that? And how do, you, how do you explain when things seem like the scales are imbalanced, like it's not working the way it should work? And so we've talked about the gumball machine because Job's friends who take center stage for most of the book, they say they have this philosophy that your relationship with God works like a gumball machine. You make your contribution, and um, this is a rigged gumball machine, by the way, for newcomers. So we've had this for, this is our third week here with the gumball machine. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I put a quarter in and I do the work. So I make my religious contribution. I do my religious work and God provides, right? No. Now what? It didn't work the way I thought it would work. And this machine, this particular one, it sometimes works and sometimes doesn't because that's exactly kind of the point of Job. And so this is the perfect analogy. So gumball machine faith. And for what for you today we ask as we look, we looked at the wife. She said, curse God and, and die. We looked at the friends. They say, Job, you certainly are hiding some sin. You should turn back to God and confess your sin. And then the gumballs will come out again. Um, and, and then you have Job who has a different kind of deeper, more complex faith. And he doesn't buy into the wife and he doesn't buy into the friends. And so the question for us as we look at Job is, let's think about our own life. Let's try to get ourselves into Job's shoes and let's say, what for you and what for me is it going to be that's going to push your faith to its breaking point? What's it going to be for you that if taken away, that if it doesn't come out like you thought it would, what's going to push you to the point where Job is at in this book? Let me just throw some things out there, and these are much more real um, than maybe I would have thought if I would have preached this sermon when I was 24. 
Let's say you've sacrificed everything. You've been an incredible spouse. You've put through so much in your marriage and you've done all the right things. You've given up so much and you've tried to be so flexible and amazing and good. And then your spouse after 10 years leaves you out of the blue. Gumball doesn't come out. What if you in your dating life have done everything the way that your church and your youth group told you to do it? You put God first. And yet here you are, 20 years later, still no spouse. Or at work, let's say you are the model employee. And I know so many of you, and I know this is probably you. You're, you guys are hard workers. You're wonderful. You know, the model employee, the one who puts in extra time, the one who doesn't take your vacation days. Unless you're a millennial, then maybe. Just kidding. Um, so you're the model employee, but then there's somebody at work that just decides they don't like you and they make your life miserable at work every day, going to work, this job you liked. And then there's a, an opening and that person gets the promotion and not you. And then there's another promotion, promotion and that person's your boss. And you're the one, you, you know, you work so much harder and this person just kind of a slacker. What's it going to be in your life that's going to push you to the edge? Or maybe something a little more serious. You get to that phase where your parents' health becomes an issue and you find, out, um, you find out that your mom is diagnosed with cancer and it's terminal. And then a week later, a sibling commits suicide. And then a couple months later, you're planning your mom's funeral. And the doctors find out that your dad's lungs are filled with tumors. What's going what's gonna to push you to the point where you just say, what? how does any of this make sense? How does that faith that I naively held to before, how does that even stand up against what's going on right now? How did God let this happen? Why? I seem to do everything right. I can't believe in this God anymore. What's it going to be that, you know, that happens? Is it going to be, what's going to not come out for you? Is it going to not work out at... Um, at work, or is it your health, or is it your finances, or is it your children, or your parents, or what is it going to be for you that's going to push you to the breaking point that Job finds himself at? And the reason I want to look at Job that way this morning and start by saying, you know, what's going to push you to the breaking point? I want us to think about that right now because when you get to the breaking point, it's really too late at that point, isn't it? Because the suffering that you go through is not going to create a faith that wasn't there. It's just going to expose whatever ever faith you've had up to that point. And if it's got something to it, if it's a sturdy faith, it's going to sharpen it and polish it and make it even deeper. But it's not going to create your suffering is not going to suddenly create a faith in you that wasn't there before. It's going to expose what you already have. And so let's consider today Job and what is exposed. Let's turn to look at him. What is Job's response? What is exposed when the suffering comes? I'm very struck with how it begins. Let me just say the first thing we want to know about Job is his initial response. So in chapter one, there's the, he loses all his wealth. And then this is the response Job gives. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. 
The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And then when he, when the next wave of suffering comes and he's physically um, miserable and his body is filled with disease, then this is his response. His wife says, curse God and die. And Job replies, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? So this is Job with two waves of suffering coming. These are his, this is his thesis statement. This is his, his sort of mission statement for life. This is the um, kind of foundation operational faith that he's going to hold to with the suffering. He has this remarkable, profound possibility that he projects out and says, this is my outlook, that there is a possibility for me to be content with God alone, even when my health and my wealth vanish. He has some way in his way of thinking about God and his relationship with God. Somehow he still sees it possible, even losing all his physical kind of contentment stuff. He sees it possible to still be content and happy somehow. And if you put related to the gumball machine, Job somehow just says, yeah, sometimes a gumball doesn't come out. And that's kind of what I expect. And I'm going to have to figure out in those times what's going to happen and how I'm going to get through it. Job has something that says that's just going to happen. So first of all, just just noting his initial statement, his, his initial like two statements that just give us this almost impossible to reach, incredibly profound sense that Job already has set the stage for this is not going to wreck my faith that this stuff got taken from me. And then as the book progresses, you see his obstinate refusal to treat God like his wife does and like his friends do. So this would be sort of the second thing to note about Job. First is his initial thesis. And then secondly, how he behaves towards his wife and his friends. His wife to him is sort of like, if you put it in today's terms, let's just, let's just be frank and talk about what, what kind of things is this like in today's world. Job's wife is kind of like the secular new atheist who says, aha, God is a monster. See, this God of the Old Testament has come down on Job. You know, this is not the kind of God we can believe in. Curse God and die, he's a monster. Run away from your faith, this is no good, this will not last. So, you know, the wife is kind of like the secular atheist and Job's friends are kind of like the fundamentalist Christian in Job's life. You know, it just works like this. Just be a better person. Hit the gumball machine harder. Turn the crank harder. Put in better money. Come on. Pull it up. Work a little harder. And your life will be good. God will bless you. And Job looks at both of these things, both of these outlooks, outlook, and especially towards his friends. And over and over he says, this is not going to cut it. He basically looks at them and says, you know, this kind of, ancient Near Eastern karma type thing that if I just do this right, then good will come to me. That is flimsy. That is self-centered. And that is an immature kind of relationship with God. It's a faith that only wants God for God's gifts, but not for God himself. So Job won't go down that road with his friends. In fact, he's quite upset with his friends and he's, he bites back at them often as they keep telling him to repent. 
And so because Job doesn't give in easily to these simplistic outlooks on how the world works with suffering, he's, he's opened up to something incredibly astonishing, actually. And this is why on our, um, our passage today that, that was read for us by Karen, we follow, and the reason we're in the book of Job is we follow the lectionary, which gives the church these readings every week to follow. And if you follow this cycle over three years, you've touched on most of the Bible in a three-year cycle. So we try to follow that most of the time so that we're taken into places of scripture that your pastor might not pick on his own. So we're in the book of Job for this reason. And today's chapter said to read uh, verses one through nine and then verses, I think like 15 through 17. So it skipped verses 10 through 15. And I didn't realize, and I I had read, it wasn't like I skipped reading those. I kind of wanted to understand the whole thing, but it didn't take me until really late in my planning for this message today to realize something really incredible about some of the verses that we're missing from the reading for today. And so we included this in the reading. And I suspect that even as we read it today, you might not have realized this, but notice what Job sees because he decides not to take the simplistic gumball machine outlook Notice what he stumbles on as he goes through this suffering. He says in verse 10, and this is amazing. He says, but he, talking about God, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. One of the things we know about this book, we know about Job's suffering that he doesn't even know. And at the end of the book, he still doesn't know. We know there's been this, this, this kind of divine gambling that's happening, and God is gambling on Job. God's betting on Job. We don't know that this is a test, or he doesn't know that this is a test. We know that. But wait, Job, in the fact that his mind is big enough to not settle on this simplistic, mechanistic way of God, he stumbles into, in all of his meanderings of thought, he stumbles on this, and he says, you know, I think this is a test. I think this is about whether my faith's going to make it through this. This is astonishing, really, that this verse is in here because it shows that even with all of the things that nobody knows, Job, because he's open to who God is and he's open to it being more complex, he stumbles actually on what's actually happening. I don't know if this is just a whim and he says this, but he's not really sure. I don't know if he he knows for sure, but the very fact that he's even stumbling on the right reason for why this is all happening is astonishing. And it's all because I think he doesn't settle on the simplistic explanations of those around him. And then just a third observation about this text is that Job attempts, basically in the end, and this is where Job ends up, he attempts to hold court in God's presence. He's asking God for a hearing. And I don't know if you noticed in this passage, Job reverses what some of you, if you're real uh, churchgoers, for a long time, you might notice, have recognized, he talks about going to the east and going to the west and not finding God. And if you know the Bible, you know there's a place in the Psalms where, where the psalmist teaches us to say, I go to the east and there is God. He sees me. I can't escape him. I go to the west and I can't escape God. And Job reverses it and says, everywhere I go, God isn't there. Job's main dilemma is, I just want to be led into God's presence. I just want I just want to have some kind of hearing where I get God's response. Give me an answer. Tell me what's going on. Give me a hearing. And eventually in this passage, so if we just read it, he says in um, verses four and five of chapter 23, he says, I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me. 
and consider what he would say to me. That's Job's main theme as he continues through the book. And eventually in chapter 29 through 31, that whole section of three chapters is Job giving his closing arguments. He's presenting his case before God. He's saying all kinds of amazing things about, you know, hey, I think, you know, th this is sort of my track record and this is how I've lived. And I have, I'm not finding a reason for this. I just want an answer. I want the judge to weigh in and tell me something about this. And that's Job's final flurry of chapters 29 through 31. He wants to hear God's voice. God, whatever your reasons are, can I hear something? Are you actually hearing me? And in all of this, his emotions are raw and they are frayed. And if you just dropped into it, you might say, oh, Job's being terrible at this point. You know, at any given point, you might say, what an awful person that he would say that about God or that he would push back against God that way. But it's all about context, isn't it? We find out in the end, God tolerates it. And God doesn't say Job has sinned in his pushing back with his words. It's all about context. You know, if someone, you could hear someone um, shout an incredibly inappropriate word to someone they love, someone in their life, like a spouse or a fiance or a parent. You hear this horrible word and you go, oh, what a terrible person. But it's all about context, isn't it? Let's say that person is peeling out in the driveway and leaving and there's a gesture going out the window and they're shouting that word, you know, I bleeping hate you, okay? And then there's another person banging on the door, same word you hear, I bleeping love you. That's kind of the difference with Job. You're, if you drop in once in a while and it's like, whoa, but it's, it's raw, there's passion and Job is driving and going and reaching out to God. He's never peeling out the driveway, giving the gesture and running away from God. He's sorrowful. He's miserable. He's depressed. He's wrung out, and yet he's vigorously pursuing God. And the only explanation to that, the only explanation to how, how is he in that kind of a place through all this is that there's, there's something in Job's connection to God that must approach the word love. That's the only explanation I can come up with. That when, you know, in the Old Testament, there's this very often quoted place where it says, um, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. There's the only way I can make sense of what Job is doing in this book is that he has something of that love. Just for God himself, not for what God is going to give him. And our task really this morning is to consider how we might cultivate such a love. That in some way God is sweet to you. The association of God or Jesus, that the thought of Jesus or God or your relationship with God is something that brings up a sort of a, a warmth and a depth and a surety of some sort. How do you get there? How do you have that? We get a clue from Job in this text that was read. Again, from the part that would have been removed if we followed the lectionary today. But this is astonishing. He says, my feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept to his way without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. There's something deeper here going on than just rule following. 
I mean, he does mention God's commands. He mentions God's instructions and not turning away. But there is something much more going on here than just pure religiosity for the sake of doing what's right. There's something deeper because he gets into the word. He gets into words of nourishment and sustenance. And, um, and it's in this last part that says, I have treasured his words, the words of his mouth, more than my daily bread. That one of my um, favorite places in the Bible that um, I always end up coming back around to, and so many of you have heard me talk about this part of the Bible, is chapter 63 of the Psalms. Um, in chapter 63, uh, Psalm, Psalm 63, really, is something that I memorized at one point. My memorization of it has gotten a little fuzzy. Um, and so every once in a while I revisit it. Um, I know the first lines better than I know, like the second half of the Psalm. Um, but there's, so this is why, because it's a Psalm of sustenance. What Job is saying here about I've treasured his words more than bread. <laughs> Psalm 63 says, earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. And then he says, um, in another point, it says, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips my mouth will praise you. But there's a verse right in there that I just skipped as I read through it, that I often in my mind when I was memorizing it, I just kind of brushed over but it's a terrifying verse if you really stop and think about it, especially when you think about Job's case. And it goes like this. I will praise you as long as I live. Just that part of that verse. Psalm 63, verse four. I will praise you as long as I live. If we want to examine Job, if we want to think about what does Job have that we might want to begin to stumble on and cultivate and find in our own lives, I think it's in that verse somehow. In a way, that verse for me even still terrifies me when I stop and think, I don't know, what my, I don't know what's ahead for me in my life. I don't know what I'm going to go through. Am I, can I say that? Like when I memorize this psalm, am I just going to say those words with a smile on my face? What will I think about that 20 years from now? I will praise you as long as I live. There's much more depth there than I first thought when I memorized this psalm. And I think there's something of Job in that verse. And I think what Job has found is somehow in, pers- in the pursuit of God and in the drinking deep from God day in and day out, I think he's found something in God that is worth Job's faith just in itself, not because of what he gets out of it. I will praise you as long as I live. Let's pray. Our God, we stumble upon these ancient words and none of us has a mind big enough to fully make sense of it. None of us has a faith that will be measured up to what Job's is. And so we ask for your help. We ask for your Holy Spirit. We know that you are not going to look on us and say, in some way, you approve of us because our faith is perfect or because we look like Job. We, we are rooted in a grace that comes from Jesus, that our imperfect faith 
somehow, by relying on Jesus, is welcomed into the presence of the perfect God. And that's our anchor. And yet we look at Job and we wonder, when trouble comes our way, what will our life be like? What will our faith be like? Will we turn from you? Will we praise you as long as we live? And can we say those words? So we ask for your help through Jesus, through your Holy Spirit. As we ask hard questions today, and hopefully for the rest of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.